You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, across the nation or around the world. This is a Spectral Skull Session special report, special appendage. We are closing out our coverage of the Russian coup, the incredible drama of an armed uprising against Vladimir Putin's regime has come to a close. Tensions ran high on Saturday, June 24th, as photos and videos appeared on social media of Wagner soldiers barreling through unmanned checkpoints in armored vehicles, driving their tanks on sidewalks, and standing in line at the fast food restaurant formerly known as McDonald's. With Wagner PMC troops arrayed across the intercity highway system, with Prigozhin literally driving city to city and receiving crowds of fans, while local militia, police, and National Guard disobeyed direct orders to attack him, with Putin angrily screaming about 1917 on national TV and Moscow's special forces digging in for a siege, Prigozhin got a phone call from a forgotten friend. It was Viktor Lukashenko, 20-year-plus president of Belarus. Lukashenko told Prigozhin, don't do it. This will tear Russia apart. And at that point, they still hadn't started shooting each other in earnest. Wagner PMC was only fighting directly with the Air Force, not the Army, National Guard, FSB, or Special Forces. And in the end, Prigozhin stood down. With his forces just 100 kilometers from Moscow, they turned their column around and drove back to eastern Ukraine, hailed as they went as heroes. Prigozhin has accepted an offer from Belarusian President Lukashenko to relocate to beautiful Belarus. It's the Canada of Russia. The Wagner forces who participated in this march for justice, they are being awarded amnesty. They will no longer be participating in the Russo-Ukrainian war. Thousands of Russia's most elite fighters now permanently out of the conflict. They'll be going home to their families. Can you imagine that homecoming? Imagine going to tell your kids or grandkids, I participated in the great summer coup of 2023. I marched to Moscow to kill the Minister of Defense, but we couldn't go through with it because it would have been too bloody. What a story, what a miraculous ending for the people of Russia. And I've been informed that Monday, everyone in Moscow will have the day off work, a kind of uh, emergency canceling of work, but now it's going to turn into an impromptu holiday to celebrate the peaceful resolution of this crisis. There will be vodka, but marijuana is not allowed. Someone tell Brittany Griner. And it wasn't completely peaceful. In the course of the Wagner March for Justice, six attack helicopters and one Air Command aircraft, an IL-22, shot down. But they died doing what they loved, flying. And now let's have some analysis. What happened? Some in the pro-Russian world are saying this whole thing was a farce. It wasn't even real. Prigozhin only had a couple of hundred fighters. It was some inconceivable trick in an unintelligible game of 5D chess. This is completely unbelievable because Wagner was zooming through checkpoints and taking positions in at least three different cities spanning hundreds of kilometers. It was a terrible embarrassment for Putin that will renew enthusiasm for regime change among Western leaders. The conservative point of view, from anyone who bothers to actually try to think about it, they'll say, you know, Prigozhin did a head count coup and he failed. Police and National Guard were unwilling to fight him, in many cases joining him, 
which showed his people power. But the wildly popular General Surovikin, head of the Air Force, did not join the coup. Remember, last time I talked about this, I said it's unclear. Maybe he's hedging his bets. But Surovikin did ultimately send the Air Force to contend with Wagner. And so it looks like in the end, Prigozhin miscounted the men. He didn't have the numbers. He had to back down. But I also think the result was consistent with my own idiosyncratic theory that Prigozhin is a real patriot who doesn't have the stomach for seeing any more of his own people die. I think he just couldn't do it. So he didn't want to actually fight when he came to Moscow. It really was a march for justice. And contrary to some American protesters who love to chant, no justice, no peace, Prigozhin understood that more often peace is a prerequisite for justice. So that's my take. Now, what's the real lesson here? I have three lessons that you won't hear from the media, including one that explains why we covered this at all. First, the real winner in this story is the social media app Telegram. Telegram Messenger is a globally accessible cross-platform encrypted cloud-based and centralized instant messaging service owned by a Russian, but operated from Dubai and the Arab Emirates. Telegram is what allowed people like me, based in the U.S., to follow the high drama of this coup firsthand. It also allowed Prigozhin and the Russian leadership to negotiate in public with the world watching. We're always hearing about how Russia is a closed society. They don't permit free expression. This is very true. I know this from talking firsthand to people who were imprisoned by Russian and Belarusian authorities when I was living in Georgia who say merely for going to a protest, they would later hear from their mom and dad that the police had come to their home inquiring about the whereabouts of their adult child and saying, you know, you could lose your job if they keep going to these kinds of things. I've also talked to people who were literally thrown in prison, held without charge for days or weeks. That's the kind of environment they have in Russia and Belarus. But for some reason, the Russian authorities are either unable or unwilling to completely clamp down on their social media. And so Telegram has substantial openness. You can see dissenters, Russian dissenters, on Russian Telegram service. And this turned out to be the thing that saved them because they were able to talk to each other with the public watching. For example, at one point, the uh, lieutenant general of the Russian army released a video basically saying to Wagner forces, we can't fight each other. The West will destroy us. Prigozhin replied, saying he only wanted to kill Defense Minister Shoigu and Chief of Staff Gerasimov. The lieutenant general then responded again, saying, you know, Prigozhin was welcome to remove Shoigu and Gerasimov. But the lieutenant general added he was saddened at the thought that they would be celebrating in Ukraine. To which Prigozhin essentially said, so what if they celebrate? So there was Prigozhin getting a little anti-war dig in. And yet at the same time, the conversation was oriented around the common good of the people, right? What's best for our people? Well, we got to get rid of this corrupt guy. And he actually, Prigozhin got somebody on Putin's side to admit in public, these corrupt military leaders really do need to go. That's incredible concession. Um, but at the same time, they're talking and they're talking about right, what really matters is our people, right? We can't have bloodshed. We can't have chaos. Everybody's watching so you know that it's not fake. And so um, 
This is the big lesson. This is why we have to have an open and free Internet. In the United States, we cannot allow the federal security services to seize control of our social media, as I've reported they largely already have. Think about it. If the FSB controlled Telegram, they would have just switched it off, thinking that was the right thing to do and thereby locking themselves into a chaotic situation. We know they were trying to shut off Prigozhin's communications. Three of the six helicopters shot down were electric warfare copters. So clearly the first instinct of the Russian high command was to jam communications. Thankfully for them, it didn't work, and the openness on Telegram permitted this high-profile, high-stakes, dramatic negotiation. Similarly, if FBI or CIA or whoever can just switch off our internet in the United States, someday when we have a real terrible crisis, they'll just switch off the dissenters. And when you don't hear from somebody, it's easier to justify killing them. So a free and open internet is essential for successfully navigating deep chaos and uncertainty. Second lesson, we've seen proof for those who need it that the Russians are capable of negotiations. They conceive themselves as a civilized people, right? They don't want to destroy themselves or each other. They have shared norms and are oriented towards a common good. That bodes well for their ability to ultimately negotiate with us. And so it should renew our hope that there's a possible way out of this war that doesn't end in nuclear confrontation. And the third lesson is that really the bigger picture here, why do we cover stuff like this on the spectral skull session when our mandate is the investigation of the occult, supernatural, and paranormal? Well, the Russian world is deeply mysterious to us Westerners. And it's a mystery that you can probe for yourself by practicing what we practice on this show, which is the Renaissance humanistic hermeneutics of Ad Fontes. Ad Fontes means to the source. The phrase comes from the early Renaissance reformer Erasmus of Rotendam, who wrote, quote, Above all, one must hasten to the sources themselves, that is, to the Greeks and the ancients. The hermeneutics of Ad Fontes, reading texts for yourself and taking the time to go and read the first-hand accounts yourself, not only powered the European Reformation, because people started to read the Bible for themselves and say, wait a minute, I disagree with the way the Catholic Church does things, it also powers the occult and esoteric traditions of the Western world. People pop open ancient and sacred texts, read them firsthand, and glean insights that you just can't have second or third-handed. Social media today gives us the ability to take the Renaissance practice of Ad Fontes and apply it to the de-occultation of world events. It gives us the ability to discern and gain genuine first-person understanding of the hidden realities taking place around our globe, again, for ourselves. In this case, I used it through Telegram to follow the mysteriousness of this conflict in Russia. It would have been completely obscured to me had I not followed it for myself in real time. And so I applied this ancient and powerful methodology to modern news, not for the sake of the news or even really to understand Russia, although the threat of nuclear war looms large in my mind. But ultimately, I do it for the sake of you, the audience, just to show us the power of this methodology of reading it for yourself. You see things and you understand things at just a different level than you can ever understand them from reading 
third-hand accounts through corporate media. And so that's it. That's all I want to say. A short episode to wrap up our coverage of this exciting coup. Congratulations to the people of Russia for avoiding a bloody, ultra-violent civil war. May the Russian trend towards peace and justice continue to the war in Ukraine. And may the drive for peace and justice envelop us all for the Spectral Skull Session. I have been Dane. Stay strange. Stay sane. <laughs>